Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a good warm day wherever you are. Uh, there's still some snow on the ground here. I am heading out to work. It is a balmy 32 degrees. Um, some sunshine would be nice. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking this morning is, obviously we are in southwestern Virginia. We get winter here. Nowhere near like I did back in Illinois days. Um, Midwest, Northwest, you know. I don't, I don't know how farmers do it in the northern states. I mean, my goodness. Like this morning, we had to take care of seven head of cattle. Seven. Not 70. Not 17. Seven. And it becomes quite an ordeal. I mean, I don't know. I know that people like legitimate farmers have things much more greased and smooth than what we do. We, you know, I wouldn't, I can't say anymore we don't know what we're doing, but we're not some, you know, <laughs> we're not the best examples of how to do everything really executed perfectly. And so, you know, I'm, I'm taking hay out on my tractor. It's below freezing. My tractor is running pretty well, but not at peak performance because it's just cold. So I had to wait for it to warm up some. Hadn't run it for a few days. I forgot I had the cultivator on the tractor from when we turned over a potato patch last week. So I had to take that off, put the hay spear on, move the cows take them grain, load up the hay bale, take it out on the tractor, and obviously we're talking ankle-deep um, mud and other materials slushy that you're walking through. I mean, and I'm just thinking, like, how do men do this in, like, Montana? Now, I've been out there, Wyoming, Montana, um, parts into Nevada, and I remember seeing large cattle ranches um, that were obviously very prepared for a lot of snow, like feet of snow, so much so that they had these, I couldn't tell you how tall they were, at least six feet, pedestals where they would place the hay bales in the, in the winter. I remember asking local people, like, what are these things out in the middle of these pastures in late fall? Well, that's to elevate the hay bales. Because they get so much snow and it gets packed down and the cows walk on it and the hay has to make sure it's, it's elevated enough for them to get to. I'm like, and so I'm thinking here in just this tiny bit of agriculture we do here, farming, <laughs> I'm like, man, I understand now. I have understood, you know, for the last couple years, but incrementally more and more, like how people can make this a livelihood as far as the labor part goes. Now, monetarily, boy, I don't know how in the world, but as far as like time-consuming things, if you had a, a, a bigger farm with, with a lot of cattle and other animals and, you know, way more than what we have, man, that would be quite a job, I mean, to say the least. And so this morning, I'm hoping to drive out and get some work. Um, what I, what I went to bed thinking about and what I woke up with on my mind this morning, um, as a family, we read 
some psalms last night, and it just so stirred me. I mean, it was just so, I don't know, there was just something about it as I read it, and as we talked about it, as my son asked some questions and we asked him questions, just thinking about some of the things we're told in the Psalms and some of the perspectives of, of course, David, we know. Um, some stuff like I'm looking right now on chapter 90 says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. And Asaph, I believe, wrote some Psalms. Whatever the case, the thing is, I just really, sometimes I read the Psalms and they just really strike me in a way that's more than, you know, there's plenty of people, we've all met people in our life who, you know, generally older people. I read three Psalms every morning at breakfast. Or, you know, I mean, they have had probably the most regularity of reading of any of anywhere in the scriptures I would assume I mean I know people who read the psalms who aren't Christians I mean there's it's just good reading some would say but of course we who are in Christ and and are are living according to this mysterious word of God that's living and active, and it, and it does something in us. It divides things in us. It, it brings conviction. It teaches. It trains. It illuminates things in us. It, it brings us to self-examination, hopefully leading to change and repentance and turning, giving up things, adding things all according to the instruction, the counsel, the wisdom, and then just the supernatural work that can't really be understood or appropriately explained that the the living, eternal Word of God is. I mean, could we not easily say there's just nothing like it? There's nothing like this mysterious book. And I wish there was some way to really communicate that with people about the awesome living word that this book that has been dubbed the Bible, what it is to those who just don't really see it in that way. And I'm not even talking about non-Christians now. I'm not thinking about the world in any way. I'm thinking about people who profess to be Christians, followers of Jesus, churchgoers. I mean, think back, if, if you are now a person who's, who would be considered what I'm saying in regards to the Word of God, like you see it, you, you hold it highly, it's, it's a holy, supernatural, alive, living Word to you, like you study it to show yourself approved. You meditate on it. You read it and it's alive and it's personal and it's applicable and it speaks to you. If that's you, well, there's probably there was probably a point in your life where it didn't have that place. It didn't have 
that position in your heart and in your understanding, right? I mean, I remember when the Bible was just something I was supposed to read and never really understood why. I knew I was supposed to. I knew I didn't want to. (laughs) But you have to. You'll be better, right? And we did it more as a, I wouldn't say at all, it was in faith. It was just a duty. I'm, I know I'm supposed to read this, so I guess I will. We saw it through the lens of Sunday morning services. We would read it, and we would hear someone speak out of it. But it wasn't this living, ongoing, vibrant Word of God that like, well, let me ask you this. Here's a very practical question. Like when you go somewhere... When you go to visit friends, when you go on vacation, when you travel to see family, when you go into town, when you go to hang out with your friends, does the Word of God go with you? Like the printed book that you own and possess, does it go with you? If you're going to be gone for a day or two, is there... Any consideration of not having it alongside you? Because, friends, I'm just saying as an example of what I'm saying, as someone who, for the majority of my life, you know, for 30 years, even when I was a youth pastor, when I was a paid staff member of the church now, the Word of God didn't hold a elevated proper place in me. I taught out of it. I studied it, but it wasn't something part of me that I, that was like an absolute essential. But now when we go places, I want it with me. I want to have it near. Now, admittedly, I don't know the scriptures like I should. I'm, I'm, I'm a very poor example of, of, uh, memorization, but I will say this. The little bit that I do know, even inadvertently, like outside of a, a, a small season of a couple years of like deliberate um, memorization, most anything that I remember now, whether it's in prayer or in a conversation or even in some in these recordings sometimes, is generally what I would just say is the unction of the Holy Spirit in me bringing it to mind bringing it to remembrance because it's not something I really know. I often find myself praying scriptures that like I didn't realize I knew. But yet that to me is part of the mystery. That's part of the spirit-led man moving and speak moving according to and speaking the living word, the now word from the ancient eternal word, right? So I find that very fascinating and intriguing, to say the least. And so, like, I would just pose that question. Like, what place does the written Word of God have in your life? What, what, um, what place is it sitting in you and upon you, in your heart? How elevated is it in you of a necessity of, I must... I must be what we would call in the Word. Are you in the Word, brother? (laughs) Well, 
What do we mean by that? Like, are you giving yourself with great frequency, regularity to the living word of God? Is it essential? That's the word I keep thinking of. Is it essential to you? And I can't go into what I'm writing out right now for a, probably a multi-part series of what I'm going to record soon, but it's along those lines. And just to drop the seed of thought in it, it's about preparation. Preparation. Are we a prepared people spiritually? And I'll just leave that there and move back on. And so last night, we were reading Psalms. And it just stuck out to me. I'm going to have to pull over because I do want to read it. Let me try right here. And it just really, I, I mean, I pray that it does it again so that I can appropriately explain what I was saying. But it was Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Let's use this imagery. Turn on your imagination. Turn on your creative imagination to envision what this is saying. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Your dwelling place will be in the covering shadow of Almighty God. Now, how far does a shadow go? Again, I'm reminded, as I say that now, I'm reminded of several weeks ago, maybe a couple months now, where I recorded the podcast about proximity. The importance of proximity. The nearness to God himself. Well, how do we do that? That's, that's, that's a long, we won't have time for that, but the blood, the hilasterian, Christ who is our mediator, like he, through him alone, do we go to the Father, that type of thing. So if we're in the shadow, we have, we're probably pretty close because a shadow is only cast so far. Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. With my son last night, he raises chickens. We talked about that. What does the hen do, Noah, when you come at her to grab her chicks? Well, she spreads out her wings and she puffs herself out and she basically makes it very clear, "Uh uh-uh, get out of here. So let's use that imagery, right? Under his wings, we may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. So his faithfulness, okay? Let's set aside our own now. God, Yahweh God, Elohim of Elohims, the perfection of Every single thing that ever was, now is, and ever will be, the perfect creator, Yahweh God, his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark, unmovable, unshakable, the perfect defense. His faithfulness is that for us. And because of that, You won't be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by the day, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. Okay, so let's like just, man, I don't even have time for all these things. I didn't even realize, right? We could do a verse by verse commentary. 
But in verse 6, well, 5 and 6, terror of night, arrow by day, pestilence that stalks in the darkness, destruction at noon. Y'all, do we realize all that is pursuing us? Everything that's pursuing us. Yesterday at work, I listened to, I think it was part three of the What is Man series because I felt the Lord wanted to speak something to me out of that from back in February. To remind me of some things of what? Of the dominion reality. The dominion. Are we walking? Am I walking today in light of that dominion position? That I have been given the charge from Yahweh God himself to walk, putting this earth under my subjection in his authority, in his government, underneath his preeminent rule and reign, the purpose of man. Why? Verse 5 and 6. There is plenty pursuing you, friend, to oppose you. During the day, during the night, at noontime, But we have been given one who is faithful, and he is our shield and bulwark. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. It shall not be near. It shall not be upon you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge. Even the Most High, your dwelling place. Psalm 91, 9. Okay, so let me ask this question. Is the Lord himself your dwelling place? Is he your dwelling place? Is he the source and the the building, if you will, that you operate in, make decisions in, move in and out of? Is he your dwelling? Is he your abode himself? No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Here's more stuff against us. Evil, plagues. Verse 11, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion. You will tread upon the cobra. The young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, us, God, okay, this is Yahweh God speaking in verse 14, because he, us, because they have loved me, therefore I will deliver them. I will set them securely on high because they have known, what, my attributes, my son, My goodness, my kindness, my loving kindness and and patience, my, no, because they have known my name. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and distress. I will rescue him. I will honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and I will let him behold my salvation. Oh my gosh, y'all. That last part is like the grand finale of a fireworks display to me this morning. And it was last night. Listen to what this is saying. 
Because he has loved me, God says, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name that he himself even reveals. It's nothing that we can boast on in our own self, in our own condition, our own best efforts. He reveals his name as he calls us and woos us. And then, because we have known his name that he himself has revealed to us, (laughs) he will set us securely on high. Friends, we serve a good God. Verse 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. The only reason we can call upon him is because we've been given a mediator. Because he has revealed himself and revealed his name. I will be with him in trouble. I Listen to this, y'all. Creator God of all heaven and earth. Keeper of all eternity. He has no beginning. He has no end. He says to us, I will rescue you and I will honor you. Are you kidding me? Seriously, do we understand this truth? Think on God for a moment. His eternal attributes, His immeasurable qualities, His omnipresence, His goodness, His kindness, His He is beyond our comprehension. And this Yahweh eternal God says, I will rescue you and I will honor you. Are you kidding me? What in the world is going on in regards to this awesome God's kindness towards us? Yahweh God says he will honor me? Y'all, this is what drives me to my knees. Not my sin, not God's high and lofty holiness that I cannot know. His goodness and his kindness leads me to repentance and to honoring him. To exalting him, saying, who is like our God? Who is like him? Y'all, I'm no no expert on all the ancient gods throughout civilizations, but I know just enough to know there's no God like our God. He is the Elohim of Elohims, y'all. He is the King of all kings. Why? What other God does what our God does? He makes a way for man to know Him And then when man responds in humility and resignation and repentance, God exalts and honors that man for responding and knowing his name. And people say God is too hard to be known. And people say God is too much, too fierce, too holy. Are you kidding We don't know the word. We don't know what God himself has told to, what he has told us. We're ignorant. And in our ignorance, we have not known him rightly. I even asked my son last night, y'all, he's eight. He's eight and he gets this. 
He will call upon me and I will answer him. I said, Noah, Daniel, can you call upon somebody that you don't know in the same way that you can call and address someone that you do? No. If you stand in a crowd and you say, hey, 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 you, can you distinguish who you're talking to? Will that person immediately know who you are calling them specifically? No. It's impossible. Why? Because you don't know their name. You cannot call on them. Y'all, we've got to get this truth within this, this little tidbit of thought. We have been given God's name, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna to dip my toe in this tiny little puddle of great deep truth that I believe is something we can add to our lives. I have heard it said by mature godly men. Well, it doesn't really matter what we call God. God knows who I'm talking to. He knows who I'm talking to. Okay, now like I want to tenderly speak to that. Y'all, in light of this scripture alone, I'm not even that's not going to be the point of my um, discussion today. Because I need to wrap this up. But y'all, we have been given his name. We have been given his name. If we know his name, and if there's power in that name, and if God will set securely on high the ones who have known his name, why would we want to just say, "Ah, hey, Hey, you up there in the sky. Hey, you. Hey, hey, you gods. God of God of gods. You know who I'm talking to. What if there, I'm just going to pose it as a question. What if there is something to the specificity of calling out the name above all names, which is Yahweh, because he himself revealed his name to a man, to us. To us. And so I'm saying, what if there's something within the name? And as I have really been promoting, I guess, in my own life, and in anyone who I have had the opportunity to talk to the last three or four months, the name of Yeshua Messiah. Yeshua. What if there's something within the name? Because we know for certain, because we're not, I'm not hung up on translations now. It's not about, well, you know, let's not be silly. I don't like it when people say all things make them sound like they're holier than me because they say Yohanan instead of John. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm, and I'm not saying people don't do that. Sure they do. Of course they do. But so what? So what? That's not the point. If an angel of the Lord told human beings at the onset of Emmanuel coming in the flesh, Yahweh God himself now, wrapping himself in flesh, and he said, you shall call his name Yeshua. Y'all, I'm just telling you, I'm not interested in calling him Jesus. Right now, I'm just not. 
why would I call him what my generational version of him and language preference calls him if, in fact, I know for certain his real name? What if there's something within the name? I'm reminded of the old hymn we all sang in the 70s and the 80s, probably still now somewhere in churches around here for sure. There's just something about that name. What if that's true? What if that song is true? But what if it's ancient and eternal? What if it's the spoken name of God? Yahweh is my name. I am that I am. And you shall call his name Yeshua. Why? Because this says something to us. Because he has known my name. Why does it say that? We have to ask these questions. Why does it say, because he has known my name? Yes, and amen, there is something about that name. And in conclusion, God, Yahweh, eternal God, will rescue us and honor us. He will let us behold His salvation. Who is His salvation? Who is salvation? Yeshua, Messiah. We shall behold Him We will know Him. Why? Because it's Yahweh God's plan. It's His plan for all of creation to return to Himself. To be restored. Where? In Him. He will become our dwelling. We will be hidden under His wings. We will be close enough to be in His shadow. He will be our bulwark. He will be our strength. He will be our tower. He will be our fortress. For who now? For who? For those who know His name. For those who have made Him their abode. Friends, this is awesome. This is awesome, y'all. We've got to read the Word. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to read it as spiritual men. Friend, don't read Psalms tonight and say a quiet little prayer. Don't don't end there. Don't end there. Don't do your Bible in 12 months study and close it and and just say, okay, God, thanks, amen. Y'all, we've got to take these things and we've got to address them differently. We've We've got to be spiritual men. Our children are absolutely dependent upon us. Your neighbors are dependent upon you. All of creation is groaning for what? For the manifest sons to come forth on the earth. Oh, y'all. How do we do that? How do we do it? Spiritual men. Men blown about by the Spirit of God in one way, is right here. Meditating on the supernatural oracles of God literally upon pages of paper. 
Get it out. Dust it off. Study, study, study. Read more. Meditate more. If you spend four hours a day doing it, do it four and a half, friend. Let's do more. Whatever that means for you, whatever that means for us individually, can we just, well, I can't do that. I, I don't do that. There's no way. Well, what can you do? What can you do? Surely, surely we can all do more. Well, it's not about works, brother. It's all the, fin- oh gosh, don't even get me started on that again. Again, do we need to go there? Well, I can't earn it. We are talking about reading Psalm 91 and especially the end of that chapter and saying, oh my goodness, I have to respond. Oh God, you're so good. Oh God, you're so kind that you would invite me to know you. Oh, here we are again. Master's table. Master's table. Wedding feast. I just want to stare at the master and say, I can't believe I'm here. I want to look at you beside me and say, brother, can you believe we're in here? Do you see him? That's the master. He's right there. I'm in his shadow. We're in his dwelling place. I want to look around the table. Y'all, do, can you believe this? We're at his table. We're in his house. He's so good. He's so awesome. I don't belong here. <laughs> what an awesome thing. We must respond. And friend, if you don't live in that place, if you think you deserve to sit at the table, boy, you better do a garment check real quick, friend. You better do a garment check. You might be wearing some clothes that you brought in. And oh, oh, man, take them off. Put on the required garment, friends. Don't get kicked out of the banquet. Be received. Be found rightly clothed. Oh, Lord, help us. What an awesome thing it is to be in the kingdom, seated at the king's table. Amen.